0: You're listening to Longwoods Radio, your health source for ideas, new policies, and best practices. Great minds in discussion. The following is Breakfast with the Chiefs, featuring Tom Clausen and Linda O'Brien-Pallas, from December of 2007. Thank you very much, and uh, really pleased that Linda and I have the opportunity to uh, be with you this morning. Linda is, of course, the person who has all the information, all the research. But what we're going to try and do is uh, have Linda present her research, or the research of the people she's been working with, um, in two sections. So she's going to spend about 10 minutes on the first section, and then I'm going to ask her a couple of questions. But I'm also going to ask you some questions as well to get your views. And then she's going to move into the second section. And, uh, and we'll spend about 20 minutes on that. And, uh, and then I'll ask her a few more questions. And we'll open it up to questions. And I, I'm willing to answer questions. Um, I probably will be a little bit more careful than I used to be because uh, <laughs> I haven't been fully briefed yet, even. But, uh, and I don't start my new job until the middle of January. But today is about uh, the research uh, on, on nursing and um, uh, Quality of work life, the implications for retention and recruitment of nurses. I just wanted to mention that Linda and I, actually, our careers have been connected since the early 70s. Uh, I, when I was at the Hospital for Sick Children, I hired Linda as a summer student. She was working on her bachelor's degree at that point, And she was collecting data on quality of, of, uh, of nursing care for, for the patients at the Hospital for Sick Children. And uh, I am, at the moment, the chair of her chair I'm the chair of the advisory committee for her CHSRF, CIHR chair in, uh, in health human resources for nursing. So, uh, so we've we've stayed connected throughout our whole career. Anyways, um, on to you. I think we need to put the objectives up on the screen, and uh, we'll get those there. Are they there? No. Do we have to do that? Okay. If you go to the next slide, and I'll just I'll just say something about the objectives. So the first part is the review of what the research is telling us about the work environment of nurses and um, how it's uh, impacting their health, and and that's going to be the first section that Linda goes through. And then the second is examining nurse perspectives by age cohort. What should be done to enhance nursing job satisfaction and and retention? So, we'll uh, assuming we can get uh, this up on the screen.
1: This is the trick
0: actually, test. actually, if if it's going to take a while, we can proceed with it with a Adobe on the screen because Linda has access to it here. Do, do you want? have
2: copies of the slides? I do. No, I mean, does everybody have copies of the slides? No, no. no, no. Okay. Well,
3: want
0: to review the objectives? Why don't you Why don't you Why don't you start going? And okay. because you can uh, do it from the.
2: So the objectives for the first half are to review what the research is telling us about how work environments uh, of nurses are impacting their health. And the second objective is to examine nurses' perspectives by age and age cohort of what should be done to enhance nursing job satisfaction and retention. And that's the second half of the term. Right. So this is part one.
4: What we have found in a number
2: of studies is that the prevalence of various health problems are high in nurses relative to all employed people. And that came from the National Survey of of Work and Health of Nurses that was done in 2005. And from other work we know that nurses will will come into work even when they are sick um, and put themselves at risk by continuing to work. Why do they do that? because they don't want to let their colleagues down on the unit or in the environment where they work because everybody is short of staffing days. So when someone's off and they aren't replaced, it's uh, kind of a nightmare. We have found in our studies um, of all employed women, 77% had experienced depression and of employed men, 4% had experienced depression. These figures compare with 9% of both female and male nurses. So we when you, when you see the incidence of depression is a little bit higher in the nursing field. Uh, nurses aged 35 to 44 were more likely than those aged 55 or older to have experienced depression in the past year. And um, larger percentages of younger nurses. Uh, reported missing days for mental health reasons than older age cohorts. And conversely, larger percentages of older nurses miss work due to physical illness than the younger cohorts. So the older nurse will stay home if she's not feeling well physically, and uh, the younger nurses will take mental health days when they need them. And I didn't think we'd see that uh, come through so clearly in the survey work we did. This is from the Sector study, which is a, a study that was all across Canada for all nursing groups. So uh, it was a big response, so I think we'd be comfortable with that finding. In an earlier study, we had done with the uh, work, uh, Mickey, uh, Mickey, Cahorn, huh? Yes, thank you, thank you. Cohorn. Oh, um, and the Institute of Work and Health, uh, we looked at nurses' work-related injuries and more than 40% of the nurses report back and buttock up or neck and shoulder pain at least some of the time. 25% of the nurses reported that they are working in pain most of the time. About 9% of nurses reported having been injured on the job in the past year and Work uh, injuries were, were much less common among nurses in community health compared to the hospital sector. Risk of exposure to disease. Sorry, we don't have these up yet. But, um, the risk of exposure to contagious diseases concerns substantial portions of um, nurses who provided direct care, particularly when we had the SARS outbreak. Uh, the nurses were determined to take care of patients, but they were nervous at the same time. And I don't know if you recall, but much of the media covered the fact that when nurses went home, um, people on the streets would uh, heckle them, uh, and they wouldn't want their children to play with the nurses' children, because of course they might get sick, uh, some awful disease, so nurses were feeling social isolation. Not only at work, but at home as well. And an estimated 15% believe that their employer was not taking adequate precautions to prevent the spread of diseases. And this may be perceptual, but someone's perception can be very real to them. So it might be something you want to think about. Nurses' work hours and their health. We found in an earlier study, and we've we created that many times in our work, that there is almost a perfect correlation between sick time and overtime hours. And many of you may know and understand that in shortages, we have nurses working overtime almost every single day in order to meet staffing needs to take care of patients. Um, Nurses were less likely to be physically or mentally healthy when they worked involuntarily overtime or preferred to
4: decrease their
2: shift hours and that came again from the center Studies. Nurses who had frequent shift changes, that is, greater than three over a two week period, were the most unhealthy. And uh, there's more and more research coming out about uh, shift workers and the health of shift workers. Um, on paid overtime was more common than paid overtime. Uh half of the respondents in the most recent um, nursing work and health survey that was conducted by Statistics Canada indicated that for an average of four hours uh, per week um, nurses usually worked on-paid. Now I don't know that that's a big number to worry about, but it's when it gets up to 16 and 20 hours per week that it becomes problematic. When we look at work environment factors associated with poor or fair or fair general health, we see that it's job stress, low support from supervisors or core workers, High job insecurity, job stability was a big issue in the 90s and still today because we're going through more restructuring as we speak. Um, High physical demands of the job, low autonomy, um, poor nurse-physician relationship. There's still quite a bit of violence in the workplace and physical and biological hazards are present. And working without appropriate and functioning equipment, including personal protective equipment, and we heard quite a bit about this with those N95 masks that nurses had to, to uh, nurses and others had to wear, um, and with frequent shift changes. So these are uh, factors that have come from a number of different studies, and they all seem to converge with the same knowledge or the same findings. So, why is it important that we worry about nurses' health? Um, nurses who have been absent from work in the past year missed an average of 23.9 days, when including those who had not missed any time, the average missed days was 14.5 days. About one in seven of all nurses have been absent for 20 or more days during the previous year. Of the 70% of nurses who reported being missing uh, work days in past year, it was due to um, shortage, uh, short-term illness. There is a link between nurses' health and patient outcomes and we've demonstrated that a number of times. Um, Nurses' health is crucial for long-term retention of nurses in the workforce and in all sectors for health, human resource, planning and nursing. Now, I know you've been you know, everyone puts up these warning signs that there's going to be, uh, you know, this huge shortage in the the future and it's a demographic time bomb that we're looking at and uh, in our simulation work, just looking at supply and demand, we see that we're just starting to enter into that demographic time bomb and it will be worse for about 20 more years if we can catch up. And because we think we might want to substitute RPNs for RNs, their situation in terms of supplying uh, is uh, even worse than RN's situation. So uh, it's going to be pretty difficult to do job substitution, which I think is a good thing, but others might not. So
0: Okay, so we're going to stop there for a moment. And Linda's given you a summary of, of, of some of the research. And I, I was going to ask her a couple of questions, but I'm going to ask the same questions of you. And, and I don't think we have them up on the screen yet, do we? So uh, um, you can't see them, but I'll say them. But you'll hear what, when I ask them of Linda, so you can maybe think about it. Because I'd like to hear, uh, at least from a, a couple of you, what your views are. So um, Linda, yes. you've just raised uh, a number of issues that are impacting nurses. Some of them quite, uh, particularly the one that struck me actually from this data was um, was the absenteeism of, uh, what did you say, the average missed days was 14.5 days. That's three weeks. Uh, that's a lot of missed days. And, and for, for, for those that actually missed work, so you leave the ones that actually never miss any work, because there's always some of those, it's 23.9 days like that's almost 5 weeks of the average of nurses that don't miss or that have missed time they miss on average 5 weeks. I know that would probably include some long term people but but it's still a phenomenal number. Anyways, do you think leaders of healthcare organizations are doing enough to address the issues that you've raised and what more do you think they should do?
2: Um, thank you, Tom. That's a good thank you, Tom. That's a good question. <laughs> Um, I uh, don't think enough is being done. I don't think necessarily, I won't let you off the hook, but I don't think it's necessarily uh, necessarily the leaders uh, of the organization who aren't doing enough. I think it's also the funding uh, formulas that we have that don't allow us to hire more nurses. There are still a lot of nurses who are only working part time because that gives them control over their time. And I think that uh, from the study results I'm going to present shortly, we could potentially bring people in if we knew that the workload was reduced.
0: Okay. So I'll I'll leave it at that because I want to also ask the question. You'll have a chance to say more later. Um, I'd like to hear from from anyone who wants to speak to this in the audience. I know this is dangerous, but uh, I'll do it anyways about whether you think that leaders of healthcare organizations are doing enough to address the issues that Linda's raised, and what more do you think could be done? We need someone to go first. There you go. Um, Hi, Vincent Lee from the Nursing Students of Ontario. Um, I guess one of the things that uh, as a nursing student we'd like to see is that um, with some of the reports coming out from uh, CNA Vision 2020 and also uh, in concert with RNAO and their 70% solution. Um, we are graduating nurses but it's only around 8,000 nurses per year where we need um, probably around 18,000. Um, I guess for Ontario they're doing a great step towards retaining new grads with their new grad initiative. However it seems that um, I guess some of the students aren't taking that up for various reasons. Maybe the government can do more of a push out uh, for this year coming forward to um, to help out the nursing students realize that there are these opportunities out there and to retain
1: them in Ontario.
0: Okay, thank you, Vincent. Um, other
1: views? Mary Ferguson.
5: Well, I and,
1: Yeah, I just, introduce yourself. Uh, just Mary
5: a, Ferguson-Pure, uh, University Health Network. I agree with Linda that uh, we're collectively not doing enough with this information. We've had this information quite a long time, actually. And uh, it's taken uh, the industry... Well, the industry really hasn't moved with the information. So I, I, I guess what I would say is that I completely concur with your comment that if we moderate uh, the workload or change the way the model of employment, that we can achieve su- success. And, and, um, and I can say, actually, with thanks to Tom, we have tried this at UHN with the 80-20 model. And we had Linda advising us about this, and we released nurses 20% of their time and achieved exactly what uh, what we had hoped which was decreasing the sick time and turnover went to zero and overtime went down with sick time. So the point is that if we make these changes we will uh, achieve other savings and we, we were able to improve uh, the health of the nurses who participated in that and that's borne out in each of the three continuing studies that are going on. So. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that if we make the necessary changes, we can reengage the workforce to retain, to be retained, to come back into the workforce, uh, and we can mitigate some of these costs around uh, sick time, overtime, even agency staffing. Yeah. Terrific.
0: Uh We'll take two more. Anton, you can decide which two.
1: <laughs> we'll go to the back of the room.
3: Uh, Leslie Bell, CEO of the Ontario Nurses Association. i uh, also echo uh, Mary Ferguson Prey's comments and Linda Lee's because the issue is improving the workplace and making it a better quality of work life for, for nurses. The retention issue, unless we deal with that we're not going to keep nurses in the field and we're certainly not going to create enough new positions and the new employees and new students that are coming in without the support of the current grads are not going to be able to sustain themselves within the workplace but one issue that I think we need to look at is the issue of attendance awareness and some of the uh, programs that the employers are putting in place that are uh, penalizing nurses who are over the average, but aren't looking at the reason for that. And so we can't treat everybody the same. This isn't a one-size-fits-all employees. We need to look at what the issues and the reasons are for people being off on sick leave and not penalize everyone because that just creates a a feeling within the workforce that they're not respected, they're not cared for, and why should I bother about showing up for work uh, unless I, I feel like I am part of something that is important and caring for patient care. So I think there's still lots to be done.
0: Mm-hmm. One more? And will go right back to yeah, the front. Yeah. That'll bring you back to the front. That's right.
5: Hi B. Mudge, Cambridge Memorial Hospital. Um, Linda, I, I agree also with what you said. I was wondering is there any data out on nurses leaving the workforce? I remember reading in the early nineties the percentage of nurses that left nursing before the age of thirty because of the work mm-hmm. environment and wonder if that's been updated at all. It's quite a staggering number, as I recall, something like 30% or more.
2: We have uh, right now a huge study going on across Canada looking at turnover in nurses, and we're measuring a number of outcomes, including patient outcomes, nurse outcomes, and the system outcomes. And we will be determining costs and it's two phases of data collection so we'll be looking at over two years worth of uh, a time span so that we can see what's going
0: on we had uh, because i chaired the uh, uh, the task force for the new job uh, for job guarantee for new graduate nurses in ontario i know the data we had and it might be a little bit old now and not necessarily perfect but it it, i'm going from memory i think it was uh, about 12% of RNs uh, left uh, the work nursing altogether within the first five years. Something like 23 or 24% of RPNs. The issue seems to be much greater for RPNs than, uh, than for RNs. And uh, there are a lot of reasons we think that. I won't get into it right now. But, uh, but it is a big issue when you lose such a high percentage of the workforce that you train in the first, uh, in the first few years of employment. And it's something that needs to be addressed. Okay, so we're going to move on to the second objective. I, I want to emphasize, and I'm pleased to see the kind of dialogue that we're having is related to evidence because, you know, trying to understand these issues, what's causing things, is really what this is all about because so, we can't act if we don't really understand. So, part two, We've still no screen. There's still nothing there. There's a lot more to this research than you're seeing on the screen. (laughs) Uh, uh,
2: uh, uh. We can maybe make the slides available to you um, via
0: email. Yeah, we'll send send everyone who is here a copy of the slides. I guess they'll be posted anyways, won't they? Yeah.
2: Okay. so the objective of, of part two is to examine nurses' perspectives by each cohort of what should be done to enhance um, nurses' job satisfaction and retention. So Bea, your question was very timely. And we've just completed a study right now that uh, I did with um, Gail Tomlin-Murphy, one of my former doctoral students and a real star that you will see a lot of in the future, um, looking at health human resources modeling, challenging the past, creating the future. So the goal of the study was to examine, expand existing demographic focused approaches to HHRP by moving beyond considerations of supply and utilization and to look at the broader factors that influence the health system such as social, political, economic, and technological influences. And there were three parts to this program of research. The first one looked at population health needs, and the second one looked at nursing and the healthcare production function. What's a pro- production function? <laughs> you can serve that one. You're sitting there as an engineer. I'll give you time to think about okay, it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I couldn't read ask, it.
0: Ask Reza. I'm sure she'll, she'll be able to answer that question.
2: And. Um,
4: Okay. <laughs>
2: and uh, the third project related to nurse retention, and that will be the one I focus on primarily today. I'm hopeless in trying to present this model of, of that we use for health system and human resource planning, because you can't see it, so it's not much of a point talking about it. But
0: They'll see it in the slides. So.
2: Our approach over the years has been to move away from supply and demand, counting heads, to look at needs-based approaches to human resource planning. Why? Because we, you can get into a lot of problems when you use just head counts. And uh, they aren't necessarily uh, the best uh, estimate of future needs. So this particular model looks at the impact of this is too fancy for me. Population health, um, system design, the supply, the production, the financial resources, and <laughs> my pointer will catch up eventually.
0: Uh, <laughs> See, this is this is just like what it's like to be a nurse on the floor. <laughs> the equipment doesn't work. <laughs>
2: management and organization and delivery of services across the health continuum how resources are deployed and utilized and we look at health outcomes provider outcomes and system outcomes to try and determine uh, an efficient mix of resources both human and non-human and uh, the circle that goes around with the semi permeable membrane um, which means it's constantly interacting with the environment, includes the things that are important, uh, social, political, geographical, economic, and technological changes. And I think that one of the uh, examples that's best used to explain the impact of some of these uh, factors are when we look at uh, political and, in the late ni- early '90s, when we were talking about not having enough nurses and research was being done in that area, then by the mid '90s, we had a shock, as Stephen Burst calls it, a shock to the system, because um, um, all kinds of changes were made at the political perspective because of the uh, potential recession that we were moving into, and so. On the one hand, we had this you know, building up activity going on, and then all of a sudden we cut it off. But I think what we didn't realize at the time, I mean, we realized and we told the government, but they didn't listen to us at that time, um, was that we also had this huge age cohort from the baby boomers that were gonna be retiring in the next few years, um, starting in, Uh, 2000 and going well through 2000 and and 20 and uh, so what we're trying to do is to get people to look at all the factors that might be under these variables in order to understand um, what they're doing the potential impact of what's being done so in this particular project three we uh, sought to understand nurses' decisions to leave or remain in nursing workforce in order to uh, aid in identification of efficient and effective strategies for nursing retention. The study used a cross-sectional survey design which sampled three different groups, former RNs who have left and do not maintain the registration, RNs who maintain the registration but are unemployed or do not work in nursing, and RNs who remain in practice with special attention to oversampling nurses in the under 35 age cohort. We really did want to see that young cohort and what we saw. Uh, we mailed surveys um, to six provinces, PEI, Newfoundland, uh, Newfoundland, uh, New Brunswick, Ontario, and Saskatchewan. And the response rate was 41.6% which is pretty good given that uh, response rates have been much lower to studies recently. Um, and we used a snowball sample to recruit former nurses. So we ended up with a final sample of 6,453 nurses responding, and that's a good number. The average age of the respondents was 43.8. Um, 11%, almost 12% were single. Uh, 79% were married or common-law, and 96 were widowed, separated, or divorced. So we had paths that we put people in once we had analyzed the data. Um, Stairs, nurses who are who work or are employed in nursing, and uh, who have not left the profession, and there's uh, 4,700 of them. Stairs at risk of leaving, Nurses who are, at, and these were defined as nurses who are at risk of leaving nursing as a career. Maybe they're thinking about early retirement or, well, the next one is stayers or early retirees, nurses over the age 50 uh, who intend to retire before age 65, and the leavers, nurses who have left. And I just want to go back to the stayers at risk of, of leaving. Many of us have, I do it myself. Uh, dream about winning that big lottery (laughs) so that maybe you don't have to go back to work and uh, although I think you know I'd still go back to work that's a sad part (laughs) so among those still in the uh, profession are in satisfaction with the overall nursing group Uh, was similar between exactly the same between the under 35 and the mid-career nurses but slightly higher with the over 50 nurses. Satisfaction with the job itself, again, very similar results. Satisfaction with the nursing employer, um, 2.7, 2.6 and 2.8. So there's work to be done in that particular area building be relations between the nurses and the employers of the nurses. What policy initiatives are important to retain those who currently uh, plan to remain in nursing, are at risk of leaving nursing, or are thinking of taking early retirement? For Ontario, uh, the top policies for the under 35 are better salary, improved work environment, appropriate workload, benefits package, uh, support for continuing education. When they're 35 to 49, very similar. Except the order is different. And here uh, we see availability of type of position that the person wanted and they prefer shifts. And when you get over 50, which none of us are over 50 yet, um, you want an appropriate workload, a better, a better benefits package. You want to have management support, a better salary, and improved work environment. Top policies for Ontario RNs that are at risk of leaving. And when I talk about top policies, These can be government policies or the organization's policies. And I have to give credit where credit's due. The Ministry of Health has put a lot of money into building uh, different uh, initiatives to help retain and recruit nurses, but there's a lot more work to do. A few dollars given, well it's not a few, it's a significant amount of money given at one point in time and, and not likely to be retained. Um, is, uh, is not the answer to all the problems we're having now. And I think someone from ONA said it earlier, but we must remember that one size does not fit all when it comes to planning strategies. So um, when we looked at uh, Ontario RNs at risk of leaving, you could see the preferred shift. The under 35 wanted support for continuing education, management support, and tuition payback. Um, Everyone is now wanting, in this group, wants the type of position that they want. They've always wanted um, support, again, for continuing education. Here we get appropriate workload and safe work environment. And that safe work environment means free of violence, and a number of other things that can threaten nurses' well-being and health. And for our 50-plus, they are very similar to the other group. So, top Ontario policies for RNs 50-plus who intend to retire early. We need to keep that cohort who might retire at age 60 or 61, or 55, because when we cut them off of the supply curve, we're really in trouble. So when we asked them what they uh, might consider helpful things, they talked about improved benefit packages. They talked again about appropriate workload. I think people forget that nursing, no matter where you do it, is hard physical labor. You know, you can't, uh, it's harder as you get older to um, flip those patients uh, in the bed and to you know be lifting them out and getting them to the bathroom, and I could go on, but I won't. <laughs> it's getting too descriptive, too close to real life there. Um, better salary, there is a big craving for management support, and we know from previous research that nurses who are 50 plus really need to be recognized for the, uh, by the management for the expertise that they, ha- they have that's come from years of work. Um, they want an improved work environment and they sh- want a shorter work week with full pension contributions. And these are things that we may have to give into we if we, uh, we want to keep our uh, senior nurses in the workforce. So let's examine the leavers for a minute, and uh, what is the scope of their career paths outside nursing? What nursing skills help achieve non-nursing positions? Among leavers, who remain registered? What factors explain decisions to re- maintain registration? And what policy initiatives will attract those people back to the profession? When we examined the uh, scope of Cabrera Pass outside of nursing, we uh, saw that the majority of people went to health care and social assistance um, jobs that didn't involve nursing. Um, educational services, child care-related positions um, and other services, scientific research and development, retail trade, which would include real estate, which. I think for a long time, a lot of people believed that when a nurse leaves nursing, she goes into real estate. She or he, excuse me, she or he goes into uh, real estate. And uh, our study didn't bear up these, uh, that, you know, finding. And a lot of them went into finance and insurance. Once they got out of nursing, the kind of education they needed to get into their positions included... Um, on-the-job training, going back to university, going to college. For some, it was going back to secondary school, and for others, it was going through an apprentice program. And this is interesting, because the nursing skills that help achieve non-nursing positions, and here we only included um, the uh, items that were Uh, rated as very important, more than 60% of the time. So, the things that we do well, and that people want to um, hire us for, is our ability to multitask, our ability to be accountable for actions, our ability to relate to people, understand people, communicate effectively, um, work under pressure, use time effectively, Um, adapt to change, work with the public, have a professional demeanor, uh, make assessments of needs and situations, work autonomously, and one of the things that nurses are famous for is getting things done. And uh, that came up here as well. So we might wonder, uh, why do people um, who left maintain their registration? And 59% said, I may want to return to nursing. Uh, 30% said, I want to keep my professional status. And 8% said, other reasons. Um, And I'm sorry, Raquel, I didn't introduce you. This is Raquel Meyer, a doctoral student with me at the Faculty of Nursing. Do you remember what other included? Thank you. When we look at levers, the satisfaction with nursing career and hindsight, uh, hindsight was uh, poorest amongst the young nurses and best amongst the 50 plus nurses. Overall nursing career at the time they left, again, 2.8, 2, 2.3, 2.8, and three. Are three probably closer to expressing some form of satisfaction, but certainly the mid-career nurses and the younger nurses um, didn't enjoy the overall nursing career. Last nursing job again, we're beginning to see the under 35 saying it just didn't cut it for me, and. Uh, the the last employer, you'll see that the mid-career late and late-career nurses, uh, as well as the early-career nurses, just didn't like the last employer they had. And we asked them if they would consider coming back to nursing, um, and 25.4 said possibly. Um, they're undecided. 34 said. Uh, 34% said yes, and 37.6% said no. So what we see here is a uh, a cohort of nurses who could be brought back into nursing. So when we looked at the on excuse me the Ontario data for leavers, what they wanted. Um, to see as the top five policies that would be implemented to bring them back is an improved work environment, appropriate workload, available, uh, availability of the type of position they want it, so whether they want it full-time and they want it to work in med surge versus ICU, um, better salary and preferred shifts. And what we haven't done much with yet is that notion of uh, the impact of changing shifts. Um, more than three times in a two-week period. And I, I only say that because maybe there is something we need to be looking at in terms of the master roster. Are my colleagues still Yes, they are. Okay. So, thanks, Tom.
0: Should I? Yeah, well, you might as well, I guess. Yeah. I, the first question, uh, Linda, I'm going to ask you, and then, I, then we'll again open it up a bit um it was raised the question was raised before about the number of nurses that actually leave nursing altogether and there's some interesting data there about why they leave Um, but it also sounds like um, some of them might be willing to come back yes um but if we look at the ones who are there now what, what do you well from your what's your sense from the research but what we need to focus on the most to to make sure that nurses don't leave nursing, I gave I gave numbers of RPNs, 20, over 20 percent, almost 25 percent leave within the first five years of graduating. For RNs, it's like 12 percent based on the data that I've seen. Um, what should we do to keep these people in the workforce? And by the way, I think right now we what is it? We graduate how many nurses per year in Ontario? Two. Twenty-six hundred. We graduate about sixteen hundred RPNs, seventeen hundred maybe. So twenty-six thirty-six over over four thousand. So if you lose, if you lose, let's say sorry 12 percent, or fifteen percent, you're losing six hundred nurses a year that you graduate. So just think about it, every year you lose six hundred. So what 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 do you think could be done to try and make it less likely for those six hundred people to leave nursing altogether? Well,
2: I think. We've seen it here in the policy initiatives that they wanted to see in terms of, um, you know, improving staffing, that is reducing workload. And part of that is getting um, a workload measurement tool that they actually have committed to and will um, work with and not fudge because their frustration with workload tools before is that no one ever did anything with them anyway, and staffing was never adjusted. So so why should I keep keep filling these out reliably? Uh, we're hoping to work together in this province to uh, develop a, a next-generation tool that will look at even more the complexity of the patient and can be automatically abstracted and uh, put into our different you know a record for calculating the uh, work demands what we found in earlier studies and I'll just go on a minute because I think it's important was that uh, we really need to adjust our expectations of utilization of nurses right now with the MIS system uh, the maximum a nurse can work is it okay if I go on sure is 93% because she's she or he is entitled to 7% for a break and, and uh, whatever. And it's different on a 12-hour shift. And what we've seen in our analysis of the MIS data is that, you know, people would be keep ratcheting up that utilization rate to 110, 120, to the point where they'd say, oh, we need to cut the budget more. Let's work our nurses at 130. Um, utilization and that's when you begin to see the the outcomes uh, that are not good for the patient burdeners and what we did find in that study and it correlates well with Mary's 80 20 was that the quality of patient care begins to fall off when nurses work beyond 80 percent capacity so okay Well, I'd I'd like to ask
0: that question of anybody else in in the audience here. What do you think we should be doing? I mean, you've seen some of the research, and there's a variety of variables there, Mm -hmm. but from your experience and the research, what do you think we should be doing to keep nurses in nursing, keep them from leaving nursing altogether? There's uh, Anton, right to your left there.
1: Good morning.
4: My name's Marissa. I'm a resource nurse in labor and deliberate at Brampton Civic. Um, In the process of change, which we've gone over in the last seven weeks, and probably most of last year or this year. I have to say um, what stands out to me most being on the front line is the recognition and acknowledgement from managerial staff Far uh, far and beyond more than anything else. I guess with the process of change, it's hard for everybody no matter what age you are to adapt to it and I find that that's one thing they come to me about more than anything is just to be validated and recognized as being the nurse who they are, the work they do. Volume's volume, it's not going to change but I think on how we treat our staff is just back back to the basics, and I find that's being lost.
0: You just go back to one of the slides there. Just flip back. I'll tell you when to stop. Uh, but uh, right there. So, uh, last nursing employer. Uh, this scale, by the way, hopefully you can see along the bottom. Three is uh, satisfied, satisfied, and two is is unsatisfied is that what it is I can't read it from here dissatisfied, dissatisfied sorry I guess there's no such word No, there is it's unsatisfied but but um, we're down to 2.2 with the really young nurses which is really an indication of dissatisfaction and I just said we're talking about large numbers here we're talking about 600 people almost leaving a year so um, now we don't know what it is in terms of their view of the last employer but what you're saying is recognition of the 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 work that people are doing and the workload that they're facing and that sort of thing right
2: mm-hmm
0: So you, you made a lot of good points there. but Unfortunately, you didn't have the microphone. Uh, <laughs> but but, I'll, but I'll, I'll just repeat it a little bit because I, I think it's really important based on my own experience and the data I've collected through staff satisfaction surveys. Um, when when staff talk about their employer, um, I think for the most part, they mean the frontline manager that they report to, like it's their, it's their direct leader. and um, and one of the challenges I've always found is um, do organizations support their frontline managers well enough so that they can actually do a good job with the frontline staff? And so where I think the organization fits in is, is really understanding what the frontline managers' needs are and, and um, uh, how to make their job more reasonable. You know, you mentioned, I think somebody mentioned about the 90s, which was a decade when there was a lot of cuts in hospitals. We not only cut frontline staff; we cut frontline managers to a very large extent. And, and uh, I know in some organizations, frontline managers have as many as 100 people reporting to them, which makes it pretty challenging to give any support when their staff are working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I, I think I think this is this is a really important point. I'm just trying to build on your point based on my own experience about how we as an industry, support our frontline managers so they can support our frontline staff.
2: One of the things I just dropped in two cents with, can't can't resist, Mm -hmm. uh, is that whole notion, and you brought it up, the span of control and their leadership style is very important um, for senior managers, or for nurse managers, and Raquel uh, in her doctoral work looking at a different way of measuring span of control, in terms of Mm -hmm. how far people have to travel to see their staff, as well as many other components.
3: Interesting. Ian? Uh, Ian Underwood from Bridgepoint Health. There's been a lot of attention in the last several years to nursing skill mix as it relates to quality. But I'm interested in whether your research looked at nursing skill mix as it relates to quality of work life, satisfaction, health of nurses.
2: Yes, we have, actually. And uh, we were one of the first to find that uh, baccalaureate-prepared nurses, uh, patients who were cared for them, um, had better outcomes and stayed shorter times on the caseload in the community. In the hospital sector, we also have been able to identify better outcomes with uh, baccalaureate-prepared RNs and uh, it's interesting they're the most likely to leave and the reason would be because they have mobility with their, their degree but um, they also have a way of understanding organizations and working through the system um linda mcgillis hall and her now famous um doctoral work and the study she did for the Ontario Hospital Association. Was it, Gail? Oh, she's supposed to remember these things. <laughs> anyway, she was able to demonstrate that, uh, you know, having regulated staff is better than having a mix of unregulated and regulated staff. So regulated means they have uh, their license to practice.
3: So, I guess the question I'm trying to get at is, in those environments where there's a more enriched, regulated nursing skill mix, has your research demonstrated that the satisfaction, not the outcomes, not the teaching outcomes, but the satisfaction of nurses and the health of nurses, so sick time, et cetera, is is lower in more regulated rich environments? The
2: have a of and uh, it's uh, better in regulated environment you know once you start bringing in a um, a kitchen um, aid or the one thing that Linda did note and it's probably changed uh, for the worse now when she was doing her doctoral work she identified I think it was 37 different uh, groups of uh, unregulated workers who worked in hospitals and my always my concern has been should those people be able to the real question comes to touch the patient or not touch the patient In some places they're just doing hotel services and in other places they've now been given a six-week course, and they do uh, some of the basics, like bathing patients and things like that. And I think we have to be, especially in acute care environments, a little bit careful about what we do with that. In the long-term care environments, I I suspect it's slightly different because you don't have a lot of choice in your budget. Is that right, Evelyn? Yeah. But would you like to see more regulated staff? okay but you'd like to have Christmas soon too and
0: enjoy Hanukkah okay okay well just uh, one more comment or question I think and uh, then we're gonna be out of time
5: I just uh, so in answer to the question I just want to say that I think we need an investment mindset and and uh, and a listening approach and if we pay attention to these things and invest in in uh, the release time and the modification of workload and the presence of managers for support, it pays back. And and I just can say again, our experience in our study, and continuing that, has shown it pays back. It pays back in reduction of length of stay, satisfaction, sick time, overtime, uh, retention uh, is not an issue, recruitment is not an issue. So. Um, I, I just think that we need evidence-based management approach and an investment
4: mindset.
0: Yeah, and, I, and we're going we're gonna to end, uh, but I, I just want to build on that comment as well. Oh, I'm totally still have five minutes. So, uh, but I'll build on that comment, and then I guess Reza will have a chance to speak. Um,
2: That'll take at least and, three minutes. And Reza, Reza
0: and I, by the way, went to high school together, so, <laughs> so and she was valedictorian and I wasn't. Uh, but he was so, Mr. So she So she'll like to speak. But I, I want to build on on uh, Mary's point. Um, we we often think of things in healthcare as costs, and we need to think of them more as investments. And uh, we need to base it on evidence. We need to find out what works in terms of investing money in certain things that will actually, in the end, make this health system more sustainable. And and I'm a firm believer, too, based on my experience, that there's lots of those things that we haven't done yet. And having said that, we've done a lot over the last 20 years. I, you know, healthcare is so different today than it was uh, in the late 80s. It's, it's much more, I'll use the word efficient, seeing as my undergraduate degree is in industrial engineering. Uh, it's much more efficient today than it was before. But we have to keep figuring out through evidence-based research what we can invest in that will continue to make it more efficient and also make sure that we keep people in the workforce, which is which is a huge issue for us, obviously, and, uh, and that's what makes this kind of research so important. Reza, you get the last question or comment. Yeah,
4: it, it, it is a question. Okay. Um, it's the, the references to the field. How much of this is hospital and how much when you go into non-hospital settings? Because I'm going to refer to some other work that Linda's done with me, Audrey Laporte, Mohammed um, Alamedine looking at the stickiness, the likelihood that nurses are going to stay, and hospitals are at the top of the pack. Hospitals were more likely to hang on to their nursing workforce than most of the other subsectors. Community, for example, had a real hard time hanging on to nurses. And what you saw, Tom, maybe in the timing, um, what we found is that when hospitals let their nurses go, rather than go to the community, they were more likely to leave nursing than to move to community jobs. So it might be a thing of when you shrink. So I guess I'm asking is how much of these things translate into the changing nature of healthcare delivery, which is not as hospital-focused, and what do we do about having people who are willing to work in non-hospital settings?
2: I can answer that, Raza. The study that I just reported on, on the second half, had nurses from all walks of life. I mean, all work environments. But I know that I'm on the stickiness paper, and uh, uh, I've always sort of scratched my head and and said, "Well, I haven't seen that yet." But that doesn't mean that uh, those findings aren't valid. It's just that I haven't seen them yet. <laughs> seen them in? I haven't observed them in real life, if you know what I mean. Yeah, they aren't alive to me yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but that was a very specialized study that uh, Mohammed did for his PhD I know but he created a whole new way of looking at it yeah so so did a great study
0: so it sounds like more research is needed on this particular topic okay I think we're going to end now and I and I want to thank you all for uh, um, putting up with our technical difficulties uh, and as well as your your interest in uh, what Reyes and others had to say. Thank you very much. So this
1: stress test was brought to you uh, by Accenture, <laughs> IBM, and Johnson and & Johnson. And I can't help but think that those are three companies you could probably – there some interesting lessons learned. These are large corporations, yeah. large employees, and I didn't hear any of the uh, lessons learned that we could get from the private sector. Mm-hmm. But I know their representatives in here, and I suggest maybe that they'll come up and talk to you about their That would answers. be nice. Right. Um, just to let you know what's happening next year, in January, Bob Bell, together with Drs. TacMack and John Irish, two great researchers that this country has produced, they're going to talk about research and the impact on the Academic Health Sciences Center and healthcare. care. Uh, then in February, Michael Dechter and Ben Chan, we're going to find out the magic that Ben uh, applied in Saskatchewan, is going to work here in uh, Ontario. In March, Michael Guerrero is going to do uh, his annual State of the Nation, the unvarnished version of IT. And then, uh, uh, I like all of these actually, but then number four for all you Lynn fans, Dr. Alan Hudson and Tony Fell will come and talk about governance. So thanks to today's presenters, um, despite the technical problems, we much appreciate it. And, Tom, we've given a donation to um, uh, OHA uh, Africa on your behalf for coming here. We Thank appreciate you. that very much. And uh, the faculty here is a fundraising d- department for some of the activities that the Faculty of Nursing undertakes, and we've given a donation on your behalf to them. Thank you. Thank you for coming to Breakfast with the Chase. <laughs>
0: This has been Longwoods Radio. Thanks for listening.